Benvenidos and welcome to the Platform Latino podcast where we profile, highlight, and bring to the airwaves the successes of our community and those helping us to get us there. I'm your host, Osvaldo Valdez, and I'd like to thank you for joining us and enjoy the show. Welcome back, mi gente, to the Platform Latino podcast, where we interview and learn from our fellow Latinx community on how they persevered and succeeded in their life goals. Today's guest is an amazing chingona New Yorican who is best known for her acting role in the classic 90s film Mi Vida Loca, where she played Sad Girl. She has evolved and grown from that role immensely to today being a life coach, mental health advocate, and now author in her self-published book, Too Happy to Be a Sad Girl. Please help me to welcome Angel Aviles. Welcome, Angel. Yeah, thank you. I, after that reading, I felt like I should be hearing like, <sighs> yeah. you know, like I could hear the applause <laughs> in my mind. No, but we, we, we yeah. no, and, and they, they should be applauding because you've done so much great things in your life and your story. And you, you're here to, to be a pillar for future generations. And I love the, the fact that you're, not focusing because it's not it can help anybody but focusing on you know our people the brown people and just like people of color that don't have a lot of these allies or role models to look forward to or look up to which is one of the main reasons why I started this podcast so that we can have examples and hear their life stories and then find relationships and relations that that we can follow and you know help our better our lives but I would love to hear a little bit of your background and how you got started. And I, I know you grew up in New York, right? I did. You you just busted me out the spot by calling me out as a New Yorican. For real, <laughs> though. For real. Um, yes, I was born and raised in New York City. I was actually born in the lower on the Lower East Side in the projects. And um, from there, we had to come up. We moved to the Bronx. Okay. And I went to PS95. I do remember all that. Um, <laughs> and I, I stayed in New York until my mom went to Harvard and I moved to Boston. I moved back to New York to go to high school of performing arts. And from there, started really pursuing my acting career. And it was at that time really imperative for people to live in, in Los Angeles if they were going to, to be in, the, in that field. And so I followed my brother who is Rick Aviles, anybody who, know, who has seen the movie Ghost and recognizes Willie Lopez as the guy who killed Patrick Swayze in Ghost. <laughs> that was my brother. His claim to fame. Yes, his, it, just like I'm sad girl, he will forever be Willie Lopez. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so I moved out here and my life began pretty much the first audition. One of the first, if not the first audition I went on was for me, Vida Loca. And it ended up being a pretty pivotal and life changing event. And that's amazing that it was one of your first opportunities that you, you, you read for and you, you auditioned for that you, it was like the perfect timing. <laughs> It really was. It was the perfect, it was the perfect timing. Awesome. And like, what was your, your, so you've been in New York, Boston, and then now LA or California, LA. Um, how was it different growing up with the Latinos in New York versus like 
being with the Latinos in in California, because I know I've had experiences. I came from South Florida to Illinois for college, and it was like, you know, mostly Cuban and South American to a predominantly Mexican community. And you see all the differences amongst the Latino people. But like, how what was your experience? Were you immediately accepted? Were you, did you have to prove yourself or? I just want to say that we are so effing gorgeous. Can I cuss on this show? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I'm just very real. <laughs> We're so fucking beautiful. Like that's our baseline. How about that? Let's start there. And really, as I, I'm 51 now, and to be honest, I think it's most important to focus on the similarities. Mm-hmm. When I first got to LA and I worked on Mi Vida Loca, I got to hang out with Jesse Borrego, who I had met in New York when he was um, doing a play at the public theater. So I've known him since I was 18 years old and we were on a press junket. And I remember him saying, we were talking about the differences between New York and LA and the different kinds of Latinos. And he says to me, listen, people will always find a reason to create a chasm amongst us but you do your best to build the bridge. And I took that to heart. It was something that was so profound. I was in my twenties listening to this deep dude say these things to me. And as I've traveled the world, I realized how important that is for all of us. Like it doesn't matter the kind of bean, if you call it an abichuela, a frijol, it doesn't, a cariota, whatever you decide to call it. If you eat a pastel, a tamal, you know, at the end of the day, most of us have indigenous roots. Most mm-hmm. of us have some sort of Latino root, Latin, you know, Spanish root. And many, 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 many of us have African heritage, including the Mexicanos who are now starting to make their observations about the Afro-Latino population in their own country, the, the Afro, um, the, the slaves that were were brought to Mexico and also Central America. So, you know, I, I think it's really important. Like what we what we developed here was that whole separation, which I think is ultimately a result of, um, I mean, obviously people like to fight about things and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that tribes wouldn't have fought, that that's not a thing because really tribal arguing, tribal warring was mm-hmm. always a thing. But we're here now, and I think the thing that we can best do is now recognize our similarities, celebrate our differences. If you can't find yourself celebrating a, another Latino's, di- you know, their differences, if you don't like their food, if you're from one part of the, the, the region or the area, they're from another, keep it pushing. Mm-hmm. Work to, to find the good in yourself, number one. And it will be easier to find the good in someone else. Yeah, that's so true. And to, to find a like real recognizes real. So if you're a genuine person, you're grounded, they'll, you know, it doesn't matter what background you have, they'll know that you're a good person and, and that positive energy will kind of elude. So and that, that that goes past, you know, whether you're Mexican, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Venezuelan, you know, you, we're we all have a similar struggle. And when you recognize that and you, you build those bridges, like you mentioned, it, it makes it a lot easier. But like, oh, my gosh, yes. And yeah. delicious. Like if you give yourself permission to enjoy like other cultures, like I'm going to live in Mexico 
um, starting in October. I'm moving to Mexico for at least a year. I'm so damn excited. Like, man, I'm going to eat my way through that country (laughs) from one side to the other. Mexico, like the United States, is, is so diverse in its in its regions, you know, just like I could be here, I'm in San Francisco at the moment. And the food scene is completely different here than it is in Texas. And it's completely different in Texas than it is in Miami. And it's completely different in Miami than it is in New York. And you could literally have a revolution and, mm-hmm. and enjoying the little nuances. If you can get yourself to enjoy the, nu- the nuances of culture, it, it becomes, life becomes delicious. No, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you, you find those common things and then you, you like that. Uh, that's amazing that you're going to be moving to Mexico. I went to Mexico city in April for the first time and it's just a beautiful country. And like, whether you're in Cancun or Mexico city or some other state, everything's different, you know, and it's very diverse. It's similar to how the United States is, you know, we got the South, we got the Northeast, you know, California and the Midwest so, but you, you, you find that common bond in that you, you find the little different flavors that you like and that you can attach and find a connection with basically and enjoy. Um, one question that I just thought of, like when you were talking about like building the bridges and we have to all find a common ground. I know like when the, the movie Up in, in the Heights just came out recently, like a few months ago, and there was some backlash because they didn't um, cast like maybe more Afro-Latinos or more of a of a diverse profile that would actually be what what's in what, what you would find in Washington Heights, like your your experience in you know Hollywood and, and movie creation. Like, do you feel like we work against ourselves because that was a pivotal movie? I feel like it's like you know Tyler Perry, you know an all African cast, their African American cast. You know this is an all Latino cast. Yeah, they had some downfalls, but I feel like it was like a, a step towards a better progress progress but did you did you ever advocate for more latinos or like we're, i don't know if in in, in mi vida loca or, or any other films did they ever have like a, a person of non-latino descent play a latino or latina and like what are your thoughts on that so i definitely had some controversy because obviously the director the writer were was a white woman um, Allison Anders, who's a mentor of mine, for sure. Um, I, I think that, it, you know, how people feel about something is, is very personal. You know, obviously, people could could say, well, she wasn't Mexican, she was Puerto Rican. And why did they cast a Puerto Rican girl or Venezuelan and Puerto mm-hmm. Rican girl to play a Latina what, uh, or what, to play a, a Chicana? On the other hand, they people won't realize that Whisper, who was actually a girl from the neighborhood, played um, she did, she played herself. She's not actually Chicana. She grew up in LA, but she's Puerto Rican. Oh wow! <laughs> so I I you know again, it's the similarities, the differences. Mm. It's looking toward. Um, you know, toward the nuances of culture. And as an actor, like being able to, to play the role in terms of diversity of melanin, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this has been something that's really, really old and Hollywood definitely has to, to catch up. What I would say is this, 
pay your money, support the film mm -hmm. and give it its due so that more films like it can be made. Changes can be made once we as a people have these films under our belt that are making money, right? Tyler Perry knows that, guess what? He's going to go, he opens the film, it's going to be this much money, right? He has mm -hmm. a formula for a box office opening that is attractive to Hollywood. Let's make that shit happen. And then we can continue to grow on our diversity. Do we need more diversity? Hell to the yes. We need more mm -hmm. Afro-Latinos. Hey, let's face it. There are like Chino-Cubanos. Which, yeah. I mean, the term Chino-Cubano is even politically incorrect. Like, <laughs> it feels wrong. But that's that's what they've always been known for, yeah. known as, right? Yeah, he used to know like, a guy we, named Jose Wu. And <laughs> right, right. So do we, need, uh, do we need representation on an enormous level? Yes. Mm -hmm. Even in terms of educating ourselves, right? Even in terms of educating that, guess what? There's going to be indigenous people that look Asian and there's going to be Afro-Latinos all over the place and, and representation. But you see, the problem is that that doesn't even exist in Hollywood, period. Mm -hmm. Right? So we, we will go support these giant blockbuster movies where they don't have one fucking Latino. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And yet we give our box office dollars to that. And we're not complaining or rioting in the streets behind that. So why you would give um, a, a film that is primarily Latino that much shit, like have the expectation, the extra, mm -hmm. it's typical of what we do to each other. We set a standard that's impossible to keep. Like you want a really bitch, then don't pay for Hollywood blockbusters either. Mm -hmm. Because that's what's going to change. When they start showing, when mainstream Hollywood starts showing more color, you're going to see that reflected in everything. Definitely. And do we, right? Yeah. Do we need more? Absolutely. Hell to the yes. No, and I agree totally. And and it's, I, I hate calling them hypocrites, but you know, they, they'll raise arms and tell people not to go see these movies, but these are movies like that are going to fund our future movies and, you know, build that platform to, to grow. And, um, you know hollywood is all about money so if you see if they prove that this is a successful formula similar to how you're mentioning with tyler perry then they'll put more funding there'll be more backing there'll be more financing people to to make these movies and then that's when you have the opportunity to cast more in a diverse selection of of our people and to show the real flavor of us you know and and how we we span every shade and every <laughs> height and whatever you want every little um attribute you know we we share that you know because we have a diverse past and um no it's, it's something we need to work for towards and kind of think about on a massive scale not just on a narrow movie by movie basis absolutely like the the bottom line is if you're going to boycott boycott the entire machine mm -hmm. right you you would not go after you know the the pinky toe of of the giant mm -hmm. go after the heart Go after the brain. Stick that motherfucker in the eye. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, you have to make a real difference. Like, going after one Latino movie, This what this does is it ensures that the next one that was going to be made, whether it mm -hmm. featured brown people or not, 
is not going to be made because once again, they'll say, ah, they don't really care. They don't care about their own stories. Yeah. And let's keep, they're going to show up no matter what, because that's what they know about us. Yeah. We, we pour millions of dollars into this blockbuster with marquee names and, and whatnot. They're going to go see that no matter what, if there's a Latino or not. And, and then the sad part is a lot of times when they do cast a Latino as some gangbanger or some drug addict and, and it's not representative of who we are as a people, you know, we've accomplished so much, but, but it's definitely somewhere where we need to grow. I was, I was curious to, to get your, your opinion on that. And thank you for being so candid and, and frank with us. No, I, and, and hopefully it does stir up some thoughts. And like you said, if you're going to fight, fight to kill you know, go for the heart, go for the brain, you know, you're gonna, you gotta change the machine to, to really change it across the whole spectrum. But yes. just but, fighting smart, yeah, fighting smart. Definitely. And I, I definitely, but, but I don't want to minimize the fact that, you know, when there are, when, when there are casting decisions made that, that are like that, that does its things. I recognize that. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and you know, but we'll make noise about that for non-Latino movies and then, you know, just kind of build on that, you know, like like how the you exactly. know, African-American community, the black community, they boycotted the exactly. Oscars and stuff. So they did it on a massive scale. Yeah, you know, it's, it's brought some change, but it's, you know, paso a paso, step by step, you got to kind of build on that. But, right. So your, your, your life and your story is not all in film and behind the camera, you you've had a lot of self-reflection and um, growth since, you know, La Vida Loca and probably earlier on, but um, what was the first sign in your life that you realized you needed to work on your mental health? So I definitely recognized um, somewhat of a breakdown in 2008. I was on vacation with my children and my ex-husband and um I had my first panic attack and it was getting on a ride I had this attack of claustrophobia I felt like I was gonna die literally and I always tell this story and I said you know I looked at my baby girl who was just she must have been about maybe six at the time or eight Mm -hmm. at the time and I just said, you know, I'm, I, if I die, I'm gonna die quietly, right? Because I don't wanna make a scene in front of my baby. But I was, it was at that point where I, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. And that event resulted in a series of panic attacks, a whole series of life altering behavior, um, panic, anxiety, a low grade depression. There was a lot of shame involved because I, I didn't know what was happening to me. I, I was depressed and people were like, but you have everything. And I did. And, and um, you know, claustrophobia, agoraphobia. I was afraid to go to, out of my house. I would cry in my closet for hours. And um, it was at that time that I realized that I didn't want to, I didn't want to live my life at, like that. I, there were days when I wondered why I was alive. And, and that was a turning point because um, I, I can't say that I was actually suicidal, but I didn't really, I, I, I found it um, hard to find reasons to live, even though I had kids. And so it was like layers of 
guilt and shame and depression and sadness and anxiety. It was just horrible. Yeah, it's like an onion, you know, that has many layers and it kind of all. Yes, yes. So, so like once you, you realize this and you, you realize you needed to make a change, like what was the first step? Because like, you know, I, I you know, I, and I've talked about this po- other podcast, but like, you know, therapy is not something you have to do when you have an issue or you have some mental instability. It's something like it's like maintenance. You know, you take your car for an oil change. That's that's how I view mental health. You know, you're just calibrating yourself and keeping your mind working efficiently. But like, what was your like, did, is that was that the first step that you took? Like, did you go see a professional or? Um, I definitely want to touch on what you just said. And, and absolutely, because last year during during COVID, um, and obviously, we're still in COVID, but mm-hmm. during the, the real like the, the lockdown, we had it pretty seriously in California, as you did in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I determined that I was going to go back to therapy because not because I was struggling because I was fine. Like my kids were fine. My household was fine. We were relatively healthy. I had always worked from home, but I also recognized that even though I wasn't in crisis mode, I was like, this is sort of an event that might be triggering. Mm -hmm. I might have a later there. This might be a, a latent, you know, traumatic trigger. So let me go into therapy and start talking things through. And, and not that you're hunting around to look for, for things that are wrong, but that you are just kind of doing a check-in, like, am I really present and allowing myself to feel the fear or the concerns or the angst or am I just sucking it up because I feel like I have to be strong, like things aren't so bad, like I could, things could be worse. These are a lot of the things that in our culture have become a part of who we are. Ay, eso no es nada. You know, like it's always pushing off. You don't want to appear like extra. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A lot of my clients, are told, yeah, yeah, already, you know, enough, like, don't stop complaining, look at what you have. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it becomes something that is, that's the benefit of, of getting professional help, right? Because you have your comadres or your compas who you can talk to about things, but you can wear their asses out, whereas, Mm -hmm. and they're not trained to help you. They might have a good ear, they might have a good heart, but they might also have their own shit. When you go to a professional, you're actually getting help from a person that that's what they do. That's what they've Mm -hmm. chosen to do with their life. So, so you're, it's not that they're there to fix you, but sometimes it's just that they're there to sort of help you walk through this and figure it out. It's okay to not always have everything figured out. For me, it was a very holistic um, process back in 2008 and 2009. In 2009, I started to explore body, mind and spirit wellness. So I wasn't just going to go to a therapist who we're going to talk to, but I really wanted to figure out, well, is this chemical? Mm -hmm. Um, What what what's happening energetically? 
right? I started to learn how to use my, my anxiety as a barometer for my well-being because a barometer checks the atmospheric pressure. And I needed to check the atmospheric pressure of my life. Mm-hmm. So if I do start to feel anxiety, instead of being embarrassed about it or trying to avoid it or trying to, um, you know, in some ways, all the things we do to try to eliminate it, create more anxiety, yeah. right? So leaning into it and looking at it as this very highly sensitive tool that I've been blessed with. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I have this highly sensitive tool. And when I find myself possibly feeling those twinges, I start to think like, okay, who, what, where, when, how, mm. how, what, what's all, what are all the circumstances surrounding this feeling? Is it something that I'm eating? Or is it something that, is it something that I'm doing? Is it something that I'm not doing? What's, what's changed? Mm-hmm. And so it's caused me to be hyper alert to, to who I am and where I place myself. And that could be air. It could be rest. It could be like a water. It could be the data that we take in, all the information. You can try to ignore things, but your subconscious yeah, mind is just sucking it all up. Mm-hmm. Right? So where are you putting yourself when my anxiety starts to peak? It's like, where, where are you putting yourself? Yeah, no, you, you always like, uh, like how I, I do, like categorize it and kind of go to um, a checklist and be like, okay, what is emotional? What's realistic? You know, you go through your, 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 your mind. And then you also look at the elements or what are triggering, you know, why, how can I do it different so that this doesn't cause this anxiety or, you know, what, kind of accept it as well as like minimize the the effect of it and and that's what you do when you get you you see seek professional help because also like like the thing you mentioned with your friends they may not have the emotional bandwidth to to help you through your problems where you know a professional that's their job like you said and that's their passion and they know how to they can filter through like the trash versus like the 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 real golden nuggets and what's going to help you and how you can build on yourself so no, it's definitely a, 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 a thing that we all need. Now, um, one thing I always ask people when, they, when we talk about mental health, like, do you feel like you should find someone from a similar culture or does that not have a, a, an effect? I have my opinion, but uh, I would love to know yours. <laughs> I absolutely think cultural relevancy matters mm-hmm. because there are certain cultural things that happen where we will explain it and a person outside of our culture will be in complete shock Mm -hmm. and meanwhile that's like regular now I you know in this in in the grand scheme of things there are many things that we as a culture have coped with put up with encouraged even in some cases that are not healthy for us mm-hmm. um and, and you know coming to um to to talk to a, a professional or work with, with a professional and, and coming to the realization that hey you know what we can create, create healthy boundaries around this but one of the things that i really appreciate about cultural relevancy in in therapy and in Uh, mental health environments and in coaching even Mm -hmm. is that, um, that, that there's a connection 
and that when these things are discussed, they're not discussed in a in, from a point of view that's made you makes you feel ashamed. You know, you're you're already not feeling one hundred. Yeah. That's so you you don't need to come, you don't need to go to the doctor and have them and feel like they're judging you. No one you go fo- to for help should um, you in no way should you leave feeling worse than when you got there. So I personally, just like in culturally relevant teaching, I think that cultural relevance adds to um, to the to the power of of what can of the healing. I also think that you know finding alternative ways of of thinking and doing can also be beneficial. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing that you need to do is not put a limitation and and not silence your own feelings about what's happening. This is your healing. So if it feels good, keep doing it. If it begins to feel off or if it feels off right away, get to step in. You don't you don't you don't owe anybody anything. Mm-hmm. You owe yourself complete wellness. So go get you some. If that's your therapist wears hoop earrings and red lipstick and that makes you feel good and she's coming at you or he's coming at you with some knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Go for it. If they if that if their gender identity allows you to feel more comfortable expressing your own and that's been the source of trauma, you can see how important that would be to find that connection. Maybe you've never had that before. Mm-hmm. Conversely, I'm not limiting healing to one cultural experience. What I'm saying is we should have a diverse offering and individuals have to go. You might find someone who's not a 100% cultural fit, but there's something that you connect with. And that's extremely important. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and kind of, you know, finding the right therapist is similar to dating, you know, you, you might have to try a few out and then, you know, find that one that you fits that, you know, maybe it's the same neighborhood, the same culture, like you're saying the um, for for your lifestyle, whatever, but like to to find those those, you know, those relationship and those connections, it just makes it grow, as well as when they have a, a like, there's cultural re- relevance, you know, there's some things that you might gloss over, that they know, okay, in a Cuban household, this happens no matter what Cuban household is. And I, they know like the cultural things. And, you know, my, my dad coming from a communist country when he was nine, you know, that has a lot of trauma that they kind of pass on unintentionally, you know, but like all those things kind of pile up and you going to therapy, you talk about your current problems or your current things that you need to work on, but they have all that background knowledge because they've learned and they've understood it. And they've kind of um, they've seen it basically firsthand, and and it goes across everything outside of culture as well. It, it, it is it's important to find the right one that fit, fits with what you need and what you're looking for, and what makes you feel good in the end. So, like, what was your your aha moment that spurred you on this journey for like life coaching, and and then eventually the book "Too Sad to Be," uh, not too sad to be. What what is, what is it? Too happy to be too, sad, girl. Too happy to be sad, girl, yeah. <laughs> so this is a very 
popular question and I always feel like it's inevitably a letdown because uh, breakthroughs are often not epiphanies. Mm -hmm. They're often a process. And that's what my well, my wellness journey was. It was a process. It was a process of me experiencing it, going after it, trying things and some things worked and some things didn't. Really what happened was I just started openly sharing about it. I started a blog. And on that blog, I was just talking about all of the new modalities I was learning. Some of them were brand new. Some of them I was returning to. Some of them were successes. Some of them weren't. But I was just sharing my journey. And my journey was not just positive thought, because, yes, I was working on my thinking, but I was also working on my doing. I was working on my being. And those are all elements of my wellness journey, right? For me to let myself be, that in itself was a job, a full-time job because of all the chatter I had going on. All of the reasons that I could come up with that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't perfect enough, I wasn't, 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 or that I was too much, too much, too much, right? So being was a process, doing was a process, right? Because you, you, you often in, in the wellness arena, you often find practices. Mm -hmm. You have a yoga practice, you have a breathing practice, you have a morning practice, you have a sensuality practice, whatever it is, it's a practice, which means it's a, a, a process of regular doing, right? Um, and so being, doing and thinking were all happening at, at once. And, and it was in the sharing that my, my practice, my coaching practice evolved. It was very organic. I remember one of my first clients was like, um, I would like to hire you. And it was a couple and I was like, okay. And they hired me and I thought that they wanted me to, I, I had been in marketing. So I thought mm -hmm. they were hiring me as a marketing consultant for their business. And, and like our second, <laughs> our second session, the guy's like, um, I, I thought we were going to start talking about some positivity and like other kinds of stuff. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit. You want to find out how, how I live my life mm -hmm. at this frequency. Oh shit. It didn't even occur to me that people get paid for that. And, but the practice developed organically. And I just, I started and I started to teach them exactly the things that I was doing to be well and ultimately manifest an amazing life. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and, and it is important to hear. And like, I always am curious what the aha moment was or what was the switch that went off. But, but I, I love asking it either way because it reminds me that it is a process and you, you know, you just kind of go along with it and your, your purpose and your mission and your, your passion you know, they'll come to you and you, you'll, it'll click when it does. But, and then like in hindsight, you're seeing all these things that happen. You got that first client, you thought it was marketing, but they're like, Hey, I thought you were going to help us with this. Like, I, and, and it takes that to kind of say, okay, this can be a business and this can be my life's purpose. And, you know, I'm, people are seeking and they're willing to pay my, me for this service. So there, there must be value and, and that's how it grows and, and whatnot. So it's, and, and like, so where has it grown from that first client to, to what it is now? 
Um, I have a very thriving coaching practice. I have a one-on-one coaching practice and um, I'm, I'm just really proud of it. I, I work with some incredible, incredible people. Obviously, I wrote a book. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a junto, which is a group coaching um, meeting that happens once a week. And um, I, I don't know what else to say other than it's the most satisfying job I've ever had is to work with people from all over the world and, um, and help them get the results that their soul has craved for a very long time. Wow, that's, that's amazing. You can tap into that. And then as a group setting too, you, you, you feed off of other people's epiphanies or realizations and kind of growth. Without a doubt. You know, I've been studying happiness for the last 10 years. And I think people take for granted the community aspect of what happiness means. Um, oftentimes, people need community to complete happiness, right? You can have so many of the things like there's a world happiness report and they have like six key elements or principles to calculating or measuring happiness. One of them being freedom, right? And, And so that is one of the foundational principles of my, of my coaching practice is that in order to even contemplate happiness, we have to look at the places where we're not free, right? Mm-hmm. We're not free with our time. We're not free with our thoughts. We're not free. And, and the reasons why, why aren't we, you know, we're at that job that we can't stand. We're in that relationship. We think we have to be something that we're not in order to be successful, loved, accepted. And part of my practice is is reminding people that form follows feeling. It's not the other way around. You don't get that excellent job and then start to feel good about yourself. You don't find that marriage and then start to feel good about yourself and whole. You don't have that baby and then feel whole. No, you... It it can happen where all of a sudden it triggers something in you. But ideally, you go in whole. You go into the situation whole so that when those stumbling blocks, trust me, I have three kids. There's going to be obstacles, stumbling blocks, broken heart. If you think you've been in a relationship that has broken your heart, have some kids. (laughs) Right. Your kids are going to make decisions that scare the shit out of you, make you worry, upset you make you question who the hell you are. You got to walk into parenthood knowing who the hell you are and then being humble enough to grow. I didn't know that. Like you're talking about 51 year old angel, right? Nobody told me this when I was a child having a baby. I mean, I was 24. I had my first child at 24, but I didn't know shit. Yeah. Right. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know. And so I thank God for my, my first baby who, uh, who was my greatest teacher. My, all my kids have been my greatest mm-hmm. teacher. But I say all of this to say it, there, there's a, there is a process even to happiness, right? There is that process of, of, yes, thinking, of doing, of feeling mostly. Like allowing our feelings to, to take the lead on where we want to go giving yourself permission to feel good 
giving yourself permission to feel not good, mm-hmm. giving yourself permission to be upset, to acknowledge sadness. It's all, it's all important. No, definitely. And, and, and like you said, like until it happens and you have to be happy yourself before you can find that the perfect job, the perfect couple or relationship and whatnot. But um, sometimes things happen, like you, you have a kid and you, you realize, yeah, I thought it would be X, Y, Z. And it's a totally different playbook than than I had in my head. But but you learn through that process and you, you being reflective of that. And, you know, you, you can it helps when the, the next thing that pops up, like like you said, it's like a challenge every day with your kids, you know, that there's a new decision that they have to make or they bring to your table or an emotion that they're feeling that you have to either decide to interfere or like, you know, or let them feel it out and learn from it themselves. I'm sure it's, yes. it's a tango. So. Try not to beat up those boys that trying to break my baby's heart. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and like, don't mess with my son. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom always yeah, gives gr- girls, the girls I'm dating. And then after I date, after we break up, she's like, Oh, I liked her. I'm like, you, you hated her the whole time. Like you get her faces <laughs> and everything. <laughs> she's like i was just protecting you making sure she didn't hurt you (laughs) but you know yes it's it is all a process It, it it's all a process and and realizing that that is a lot of the a lot of the battle you know like not, not being so destination focused. Mm-hmm. I have a coaching practice and traditionally coaches have a destination to get their clients to. Mm-hmm. For me, I feel the destination is the feeling. Yeah, I was just thinking of the cliche, you know, the saying, like, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey or the end point, you know, cherish the journey because that's where you really have those, those memories you know when once you get to the end you get to the end you know that that's it but you think back on all those memories along the way and along the journey that that really formed who you were and who you became at that end end point so you have to and that that's what's that's your foundation basically you know they built first thing they do for a house they build a foundation and that's what you need to build to to be a better person and and grow in life so no that's very important getting chills thinking about it <laughs> So, and then like, so, so you've, you've grown this successful business of life coaching. You, I'm sure you've helped countless people. And then now I think the book came out like a few months ago and it came out last year. Yeah. Okay. For my birthday, November 11th. Oh, awesome. And then like, so like, did you always have a book in mind or was it part of the process that you kind of like said, Oh, Hey, I need to, I should, I should write a book to, to share it with more people and like what what kind of got you through that last because i've always heard with writing a book it's it's a very hard process but that last part of the editing and the the finalization of a book that's the hardest part like what what kind of kept you motivated and gave you the gas to to go through the finish line so it's funny because um yes it, the book is a, a process and i actually went to um, a workshop by someone who I respect tremendously. And I ended up coaching with actually, Mm -hmm. Uh, her name is Lisa Nichols. And I went to her writing, um, her writing workshop, she had a writing workshop in Orlando. And I went and I was gifted this, this present. Initially, my book started out as, um, as a workbook. Okay. 
And it was a workbook that I had put together mostly to give to my clients. It was just, you know, exercises and things to do. And, and so I had this little workbook and I went to this workshop and in the workshop, they tell you how to really um, chart out the logistics. They give you this blueprint for a book. And so I had this blueprint and I had this workbook, but what I realized was missing was me mm. and my life and really a level, a level of vulnerability that took the book to the next level. And that was very much needed, right? Because let's face it, the information people can get online, right? Mm -hmm. You can get everything online, but what, what they can't get is me. Mm -hmm. And when I added that, vulnerability there is a cultural relevance obviously people look at me and they see sad girl's face they see someone that hey then that's somebody from the neighborhood oh this is what happened to them oh she's talking about this oh and so there was instantly a connection and i talked about a lot of things that i had been told growing up like, you don't talk about those things you don't put your business out in the streets mm -hmm. I know you've heard that. Yeah. Don't be putting your don't be putting your yeah. stuff out <laughs> in the street, right? People will use those things against you. Mm -hmm. You die with secrets. And at, at a certain point, I realized like can't nobody use anything against me that I haven't already used against myself. That's powerful. And I'm no longer afraid of what other people think or say because I've had to work so hard to make what I thought and said and felt about myself important. Yeah. And then that's, that's a part of growing too. Cause you, that, that added a whole nother depth to, to your, your growth and your evolution and, and to be vulnerable is, is very hard to do. And then to put it on paper and mass publish it, that, that must've been like a little bit fearful, but one podcaster that I listen to, he says, never publish anything that you, you don't have any fear about, because that means it's good and authentic and you're actually being yourself. But but yeah, so we were talking about like your, your book and um, how just being vulnerable adds authenticity as well as that's what people want. And that's what people crave into to, that they want to absorb, because like you said, you know, a, a simple Google search will can give you. A whole bunch of facts and you know a whole bunch of books that you can read but like what's that authentic connection that you can make and what what did they personally go through what did they conquer what were their demons what were their angels you know that that pushed them through the finish line to get them where they need to be and i think that's what your book right. exemplifies you know it kind of puts that on paper as well as it you know offers different ways to kind of get through it and it, it is a, like a blueprint and i'm sure that um sure it's not as as good as if they worked with you one-on-one -on -one, but but it does help get them to a point where they can kind of like as the as the genre is self-help you know help themselves yeah that was definitely my intention i i think that if if i had a a major like thrill and the most satisfying part of, of the book is in fact that it, it, it became an introduction to so many people to self-help and to um, just awakening to, to how much is out there, how much they can 
seek their own wellness, how much they can be advocates of their own mental and physical wellness, how powerful they are, you know, how powerful we all are. Yeah, the immense power that we have within ourselves, but you have to kind of break through your your own limitations that more times than not, we, we set upon ourselves, you know. It's... Yeah, that we don't maybe even know that we have, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we just don't even recognize that that it's a limitation. I think sometimes the idea of, of choice, you only have a choice if you are aware mm-hmm. that there is a choice. Otherwise, you just do what you what you know. It's true. So um, I want to be respectful of time. So we're almost at like the hour point. How how do people keep connected with you? And like, how would they? I know your books offered on Amazon, and I'll I'll put a link in the bio. But um, like, if they want to work with you one on one or um, join your junta, if it if it's available, or you know, I'm sure there's a long waiting list. But where where can they find more information about you? Actually, there is not a long waiting list for my junto. My junto is open and I open it once a a month. And um, I want it to be open to as many people as possible. You can find out more information about the junto or about working with me at angelawakened.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-A-W-A-K-E-N-E-D.com. Uh, you can grab a copy of my book at toohappytobesadgirl.com. And I'm available online on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, I'm I'm challenging myself to do YouTube this year. So okay. be looking out for me. You're not afraid of being in front of a camera. So I think that might be a, an easy transition. Yeah, it's a whole different audience. And I just... I, I feel like I, I probably should be on there at some point. I watch yeah. enough videos on YouTube that I should have my own yeah. channel. <laughs> Definitely. And you can just keep and continue offering so much for to the world. And then like, what's next in your, your life? What's the next milestone, the next that's in the pipeline? So like I said, I am moving to Mexico. First of all, I have loved my experience in Los Angeles. I moved from New York and I grew up in New York. I was stone cold New Yorker. Like honestly, mm-hmm. everybody else who grew up in New York, we all grew up thinking like that was the center of the damn universe, right? Mm-hmm. I was, I really was like all oh, that. Like ain't nobody better than me cause I'm from New York, you know? <laughs> but Los Angeles has been home to me. I was able to receive an award of recognition this year from the city of Los Angeles and, um, the president of the city council who actually happens to be the first Latina president of the Los Angeles city council, which is huge. Um, Rumor has it that she may be vying for the uh, mayoral seat as Garcetti gets, you know, um, he makes his way on through politics. So Los Angeles may have a Latina mayor so that that's an amazing thing. And to have received an award from her was really an honor. So I, I'm grateful for my time here, but I'm ready to pursue my desires to one, my first year is Mexico, and then to travel the rest of Latin America and, and just suck up all the loveliness, all the deliciousness that that is our culture. 
Mm-hmm. I'm a little jealous, but I, I'll be traveling here and there. So, and I, it'll, it'll be a goal of mine, you know, to just pack up everything. And oh, just see, <laughs> you'll get 51 one day too. Yeah. <laughs> you'll get 51. No, you know, it's just that it, it again, a perfect, yeah. a perfect storm right now. My kids all went away from, you know, they all went away to school. Um, also, you know, I'm, I'm going through a life transition too. Yeah. This is probably a lot for your channel, but, but I'm, I'm in the process of menopause. And so a lot is happening to me physically and um, I'm learning how to celebrate this process. And out of this experience will be my next book. So I will be writing quite a bit uh, on my tour. So for any of y'all out there who are hot flashing and mm-hmm. probably um, really hating your your uterus, <laughs> don't hate. Don't hate the goddess womb. <laughs> she needs your love. She needs your attention. That's going to be my next book. Awesome. No, I remember when my mom went through menopause. It was a hard time, and there's so many emotions and feelings and. And, you know, you just need to be a rock in their lives as well as and, you know, be there to support them. And 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 they have to go through their own journey of, of accepting the, their change, which is not not an easy one. And I guess luckily being a man, I don't have to go through that. But <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm all... <laughs> my man's going through it. Nah, yeah. You know, <laughs> he's going through it as a, like a, as, a, as an observer. A yeah. very calm and quiet and scared observer. <laughs> <laughs> he proceeds cautiously. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Angel, for for being on the podcast. And um, I, I've learned so much, and and I'm I'm excited to share with the community. And um, I encourage everybody to follow her on all of the social media as well as stay in tune for her YouTube channel. We're going to hold you accountable. And then once you do that, you can find out when her next book comes out. But in the meantime, bye. Too happy to be a sad girl because it will definitely add that reflection and that that self-help. Even if you don't feel like you need self-help, you'll you'll learn something um, when reading it. And then, you know, if you feel um, inspired, reach out to, to Angel for for one-on-one coaching or to, to, to join the Junto. So, but thank you again, Angel. It's been a great interview. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, hit subscribe. And of course, follow us on IG, Facebook, and all their social media platforms at Platform Latino. That's P-L-A-T-F-O-R-M-L-A-T-I-N-O. Thanks again and have a wonderful and inspired day. Mm